Dotnet Rocks episode 882 with guest Scott Guthrie. Recorded live Thursday, June 13th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, man. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Who was at the whiskey bar last night? You and me and our guests. <laughs> yes, we were all there. And a bunch of other uh, speakers from NDC as well. I, I figured out that we were a real bad influence on these people. Uh, but they all had a good time. And we drank some great scotch. That last one was amazing. That, that last one, we don't even remember the name, but it was 24 years old and we couldn't get it anywhere else. No, I, I have researched it. I think it's called a, uh, a Belmark. And yeah, very hard to find, very old distillery, and it was a special bottling that you found as well, which doesn't help. And you said Glenn Levitt bought the distillery? Yes, it's owned by the Inver Company, uh, which also owns Nakadu and a few others. Oh, well. Well, we're not here to talk about scotch. Let's get started with Better Know Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? Sorry, I'm bopping the music in my head. The song's not that long. I know, it's true. All right, well, anyway, in honor of our guest, uh, Mr. Guthrie, you know, sometimes a small but important fundamental change in coding habits can lead to substantial rewards, but these little nuggets often go unnoticed. And we all know the the razor syntax, uh, it, when you express it with the at sign, everything is HTML encoded to prevent against cross-site scripting attacks. But ASP.NET was not always that way. In fact, in ASP.NET, if you do an angle bracket percent equals, the content is not HTML encoded by default. You'd have to go to you know, a server.html encode. And, uh, so they, so Scott Guthrie announced in April of 2010 that if you use angle bracket percent colon and express the output that way, it's automatically HTML encoded. I did not know that. That's such a cool feature. I didn't know it either. So uh, you can check it out. His blog post at tinyurl.com slash HTML encoding syntax. Uh, and remember, if you're using Razor, everything works find html encoding by default but not so in asp.net know it learn it love it hey richard who's talking to us i uh, grabbed a comment off of show 879 and that's the one we did with kate gregory where we were talking about smart clients and there was a couple of grid digressions in that show if you remember awesome digressions and a lot of people really liked how we sort of became the old guys you know <laughs> but we i think we also got a little into the devops conversation too how to manage software and so forth and scott green brought up when we were talking about have a little high levels of automation around building and testing, he said, automation, really? I got to say, you guys have me worried for having so many great shows on so many terrific guests. You sounded like you'd never heard of Puppet Labs. Ask Hanselman, since he lives in Portland and the impact Puppet Labs is in the area, he'd know that VMware, Cisco, and Google collectively dumped about $30 million into Puppet Labs automation. It's pretty cool technology, SSH manifest system with a Ruby-like DSL. I could go on about Puppet's proven scalability, but I won't. I'm confident we'll be hearing more and more about Puppet in the very near future. In fact, I bet it'd make a great show. Best regards, travel safe, and thanks for every minute you guys put in these shows. They're truly inspiring, and that's from Scott Green. Scott, you are correct. Puppet Labs is on our radar, and we will be doing a show about it in the immediate future. And you're right. It is very cool technology. So thanks so much for your comment. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps for iPhone, Android, Windows Phone 8, Windows Phone 7, and Windows 8. And those fine apps were built by the guys at Diatom Enterprises at DiatomEnterprises.com. Awesome. Well, before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They publish 10 to 15 uh, new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their amazing content. Uh, their wide range of topics covered, including iOS, Android, web development, Java, pretty much anything and everything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including lots of Azure. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let us welcome back to the show Mr. Scott Guthrie, a corporate vice president in the Microsoft server and tools business. 
He runs development team that works on Windows Azure, ASP.NET, Entity Framework, WCF, WF, IIS, Service Bus, Cache, BizTalk, and Visual Studio tools for web, web services, and workflow. And if that ain't enough, he's got good taste in scotch. Hi, Scott. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Welcome back. And, you know, it's great to be here in Oslo again. Yeah, it's been good. It's, uh, I was here two years ago. Yeah. And, um, and then someone reminded me I was actually here like two years before that. But, uh, Right. Uh, so this is my third time, I think, to Oslo, and it's been great. Oh, hang on a second. God is talking. So we're back. Uh, sorry about that. We, we were interrupted by the voice of God. And Yeah, well, that's the consequences of recording on the floor at a conference, right? All right. So, Scott, so tell us what's, what's the latest and greatest news from the world of Azure? Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's been kind of a, a pretty busy last couple of months. We've got a, a number of really cool things that have just come out. Um, and generally we're kind of on a cadence now of, you know, releasing kind of a new big set of features every sort of three weeks or so. And so, uh, last week we kind of, um, did a bunch of new announcements specifically around, uh, dev test scenarios. So being able to use the cloud, uh, not just to run apps, but in particular to build apps including apps that you want to ultimately run on Windows Server on your existing organizational servers in-house, but that you want to be able to use Azure to actually spin up VMs or do the development on um, and be able to take advantage of that kind of elastic environment. So some of the things we announced last week at, uh, at TechEd uh, include a new MSDN offer that we think is really attractive and that if you're an MSDN subscriber today, you really have to take advantage of. It basically... Uh, gives you uh, reduced rates for running virtual machines in the cloud. Uh, right, only a, a sort of a per-minute uh, ticking. Yeah, we did uh, a couple things. We yeah. did um, the ability to, to uh, stop VMs without charging, uh, which is something we didn't have before. We now charge by the minute instead of by the hour. Yeah. So if you spin up for 10 minutes and shut things down instead of charging for the full hour, which is what both we and Amazon and others have done in the past, we now will only charge you for the prorated 10 minutes. And then the big thing we're doing for the MSDN customers is um, we now basically give you a 33% compute discount um, when you spin up a VM for dev test. So normally it would be $0.09 cents an hour to run a Windows VM. Now it's $0.06 cents an hour. How do you know it's dev test? Basically, um, if you run it on your MSDN subscription, oh, okay. um, we basically assume that's dev test. We also now let you run um, uh, any of the MSDN server licenses that you get mm. as part of your subscription on Windows Azure. Cool. Uh, which is something in the past you couldn't run your MSDN licenses legally right. for dev test on any cloud provider. So a VM uh, that's set up for dev test won't maybe uh, have as much bandwidth to the outside world or no, that kind of stuff? No, it's the same. So basically it it's it's same bandwidth, same capabilities. We just sort of say use case-wise, you know, we kind yeah, of trust you, you do it just for dev test. Yeah, don't, it shouldn't be up for weeks at a time. Yeah. But, you know, the scenario that I'm doing a lot now is we're doing our, our actual automated testing using the cloud because yep. we want it to run so quickly. Yep. And so we're splitting up the tests into smaller blocks, and it could be 20, 30, 50 instances, but we don't want it to last more than five or ten minutes because yep. it's important to get those tests done quickly. And it used to be you got billed for the hour, yep. which just between you and me was still worth it, but thanks for the permanent billing because that clearly is going to put some money back in our pockets. And the nice thing is also the, the stop without billing. Yeah. You know, the nice thing is once you set up your VMs that you're using for test, you know, what you can do is you can effectively now just shut them down. Right. And the billing completely stops. And then when you want to do a test run, you spin them up and you run the tests and you shut yeah, that, them down. That's very good. And so it's, it's really ideal for those kind of bursty scenarios where you need 30 minutes or a couple hours. Yeah, it's short, and it sort of shortens the prep time. Yeah. And, uh, on a working day, I can get all my VMs set up for tests and then shut them down so I'm not costing me any money. And then as the CI process is running on my end, goes up, runs a set of tests, yeah. lights them, does them, shuts them down again, pulls the results back. And you know, so and you do can do all that now. You get the reduced rate on a per hour basis. You can run any number of VMs using this thirty three percent discount right. for dev test. Um, you can run your SQL Server dev test now for free. Nice, or you know, the, the just the basically the thirty three percent compute discount. So it's six cents an hour for a SQL Enterprise for dev test. Um, and then the other cool thing that we're we're doing is every MSDN subscriber gets free monetary credits that they can spend on any Azure resource. So for example. Uh, if you're an MSDN Pro subscriber, you get $50 a month. If you're an MSDN Premium, you get 100 bucks. If you're uh, MSDN Ultimate, you get $150. 
And, you know, to translate that, if you've got $100 a month that you can spend on Azure, right? you can use that to spin up, for example, three virtual machines that you run for 16 hours a day, yep. 31 days of the month. Nope. Yeah. Um, and you can run anything you want in there. You could spin up uh, 80 virtual machines for 20 hours and do a load test run. Yeah. You could uh, create 100 websites with a SQL database. Those are nice numbers. You could spin up a Hadoop cluster of 50 nodes and do an eight-hour you know, MapReduce job run. And all of that, as an MSDN premium user, you pay $0 a month to do. And it's just included as part of your benefits. So you nice. know, definitely recommend if you're an MSDN subscriber and you haven't checked out Azure... There's no um, risk up. to you. You already own this. So you already own it. Take it out for a spin. We have what's called a monetary cap, so that if you're an MSDN subscriber and you sign up, we basically guarantee you'll never go. You know, we'll never charge you unless you explicitly say, "I actually want to use this for." You know, I want to go over my, yeah, my right. minutes. So you'll eat up the credit, and then you'll stop. Yep. And then I got to say, "Okay, well, keep billing me and yep. keep going." And now, in the portal, will actually show you as you draw down your credit. So directly in the management portal inside Azure, you can see your MSDN credits. And you can even see the history, and we'll even tell you, hey, based on your usage, we estimate you'll run out next Tuesday. Nice. So you can manage it pretty easily. And again, the beauty is you can use this now not only to build apps for the cloud, but you know, if you're just using you know .NET and 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 uh, in-house. SQL on in house on premise. Nice. It says uh, you can now use the the cloud for dev and test and a whole bunch of scenarios. And so you could you should basically never be blocked anymore. By your IT department waiting to get you a SQL instance, waiting to get you a virtual machine, sure. waiting to get you a, a, a continuous integration environment. You can now set up all that just as part of your standard MSDN subscription. So there's there's been talk through the through the ages of having a sort of a, a cloud on premise, you know, a box, an Azure box appliance. And uh, I guess that isn't available yet or not going to be or something. But I heard rumblings of something going on for on premise. Uh, Azure help. What is that all about? Well, we previously, a couple of years ago, talked about um, having what we call the Windows Azure Appliance, right? which was basically your, your the ability for you to kind of effectively buy your own compute cluster of Windows Azure. Right. Um, and we did we did deliver that to a number of customers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the downside, though, is the, the scale factor of Azure. Sure. Yeah. You know, compute cluster is about 10,000 cores of processing power. Right. And so relatively few customers could just sort of plunk down. Yeah. Yes, please. I'd like a $10 million. I'd like appliance. a container worth of yeah. compu- computing equipment, please. Um, and, uh, and so what we ended up kind of doing is kind of, uh, repivoting slightly and, um, focusing instead on a software solution that runs just on standard Windows server and system center. Um, so that, you know, you don't have to buy any custom hardware. You can reuse hardware you already have. So the benefit there is that it's it just looks so much like Azure that once you, you if you want to migrate it's simple. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 we call it the Windows Azure Pack and we kind of announced it last week at TechEd mm-hmm. and it'll be available for download shortly. And you know, basically it allows you to very easily set up an environment on premises. Yeah. Um in a private cloud environment and it it has the same management portal that we Got have it. inside Azure. It supports websites and SQL databases and virtual machines. Uh, it also supports um, Service Bus for messaging. And um, so it doesn't have every feature, but right. it, the goal is to basically provide an environment so for organizations that, uh, for whatever reason, aren't comfortable using the public cloud yet, right. can basically spin up an environment and enable a very flexible um, uh, environment with much of the same features. So on. you get all the management features. And that, what's great about that is if, in fact, someday they do want to move to Azure, they already know what they're doing. You know, yeah, so. it enables kind of much more portability back and forth between the environments. And, you know, even for people that never want to move to Azure, uh, you know, I think you'll find, um, you know, if you're an ASP.NET developer, you know, having the, the uh, ease of use of deployment that we have with the Windows Azure websites, um, just running on your standard Windows server, you can now do Git deploys to it. You can now do... Uh, create a new site without having to call your administrator. You can scale up and scale down, you know, all in your Windows Server environment. So it's it's a great boon for people that never go to Azure. Um, it does feel like there's been a bunch of, of Azure ideas that have brought down to the server now. Yeah. So that we're, you know, I put my IT hat on. It's like, hey, I'm basically administering this these sets of VMs in a cloud fashion. Mm-hmm. It feels the same. Whether yeah. I'm running them on Azure, they happen to run on my hardware. It, there's almost no difference. I think that's a you know that's a key difference that um, you know that we focused on a lot you know the last two years in terms of 
you know, recognizing the fact that, hey, we actually have a really healthy, large Windows Server .NET SQL on-premises business. Sure. And, you know, rather than sort of encourage everyone to like, hey, rewrite for the cloud, right. how do we really enable a story in an environment where you can run on-premises, you can run in the cloud, and you can build solutions that span both? And that's a big differentiator from, say, Google or Amazon or, or Rackspace or anyone else in the cloud environment where they're traditionally, you know, typically only in the cloud. Right. And, you know, our ability to kind of span both and really enable customers to choose what is the best environment for them when well, they, they want to. they just don't have the on-prem install base that Microsoft has. It's yeah. And, and I think, same thing. you know, I think also just from a, a business model perspective, you know, we we can end up having a healthy business by doing both. Sure. And so, you know, we don't feel like we need to kind of force you to go to the cloud. Yeah. You know, we certainly believe very, very heavily in the public cloud. And so that's that's kind of my main focus is on sure, public cloud. Absolutely. But, you know, I want to make sure that every one of our customers can take advantage of the goodness we're doing in Azure, even if they don't yet feel comfortable running their code in my data center. So if you have, you know, there's probably a lot of people that, you know, took a look at Azure when it first came out and sort of judged it by, you know, its features set with the web role, uh, for example. And now things have evolved to the point where, you know, you have Azure websites, which just make it so much easier. Can, can we talk a little bit about, you know, the difference between what we had originally and, you know, what the experience is like now? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we've evolved quite a bit on the Azure side, you know, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, you mean both, since you've been there? Well, no, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's, it, many, many people, but, uh, but, you know, it's also, I think Azure was a V1 product. Sure. When we shipped it. Um, and, uh, you know, when I look back at any V1 product that I've ever done, it's always gotten better in V2 and V3 yeah. and V4. And you always cringe um, a little at your early stuff, too. It's like, that's all we got, yeah. huh? Well, you know, I think, I think they, you know, I think the team did a good job of kind of focusing on in the V1 of, uh, a very um, specific customer segment, yeah. which was... And it was a huge job. I mean, getting that cloud up the first time, that's not a trivial thing. Like, a lot yeah. of work. And I think, you know, I think the the focus, you know, when they when Azure first shipped was on, you know, how do you build, uh, you know, cloud-native applications? So basically, right. apps specifically built with the cloud in mind and, and built to kind of run on lots and lots of machines. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the realizations over the last couple of years is... You know, uh, both there are a lot of companies that want to do that. Yeah. And that's, that's been the sweet spot of where a lot of our Azure success has come from. Uh, but there's also a lot of companies that have existing code that they want to reuse. Um, and, and or frankly, the scale factor they want to be able to scale to is more like in the 10 or 15 machine size yeah, as not opposed magically to 10,000. Yeah. And, you know, I think Azure, um, uh, you know, historically was much more the sweet spot was mm. those massive deployments. Right. Where, you know, you, you did have to rewrite in order to get that. And that's true sure. for any platform. Well, and, and be willing to as well. And if be you, willing to, yeah. If you're talking about building an app to go across 10,000 servers, it doesn't matter whose 10,000 sure. servers you're running on. You gotta it's a design. very specific design. Yeah. So fast forward to today. Well, I think the nice thing about today is, you know, the, the fact that uh, I think for any developer, you know, again, whether you're a .NET developer using Visual Studio or, or even on other platforms, uh, you can now basically approach Azure. You can get started very easily. And I think, one of the things we focused a lot on is like time to value mm-hmm. uh, or time to return on investment where, you know, the nice thing with Azure, you can now go to our portal, click, click, and I got a Windows VM that I can install anything in. I can click, click, I got a Linux VM. Right. Um, I can create a website in about 10 seconds and I can actually get something out there. I can do media encoding. I can do single sign-on with my enterprise apps. I can do, um, we announced BizTalk services last week, which lets you uh, basically stand up you know, supplier chain management and EDI, EAI scenarios, which, you know, historically are, are pretty complex things to set up. And these templates are all already set up, right? You yeah. just spin them up. You know, That's I like, what's great about it. You know, if you've ever set up BizTalk before, use BizTalk. It's, it's a product that takes a while to yeah, get yeah. set up. Not for the faint of heart. It's not and for the not faint of heart. not inexpensive either. Yeah. You spend a lot of money on BizTalk. And so, you know, the nice thing with BizTalk services, which is uh, uh, a new service that we launched on Windows Azure, is... Uh, it's a managed service. You don't actually have to patch or install BizTalk. Nice. You literally just say new BizTalk service endpoint. And, you know, in about eight minutes, you can actually have a high availability BizTalk installation in the cloud. And that seems um, like a game changer to me. Cause I mean, before BizTalk, I did EDI work and yep. it was all 
hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars just to get started on that. Yeah. BizTalk even took that price down. They'll still, you know, yeah. in, in, the, in the scope of Microsoft products, it is not on the cheap end of products. Yep. But the idea that you just turn it on in the cloud and pay by the hour is crazy. Like that's huge. And I think having the you know built-in high availability support, yeah, so that when you need to roll out updates, um, you know, one of the things that we do with the BizTalk service is we do all the updates for you. Mm-hmm. You can actually configure when, what time of the week you want the updates applied or even turn off updates. Right. And we maintain high availability even during the patching process. And so for companies that are doing EDI style transactions or B2B partnerships, you know, turning off your supplier chain management for 15 minutes while you patch your servers yeah, it's is, not acceptable. is not acceptable. <laughs> and so having all that rolled into the service, you know, really does take, you know, what for a lot of companies is two or three hundred thousand dollars of consultant time sure. to set up. You know, down to eight minutes. Yeah. And it's paid by the hour. Well, and, ju- and just eliminating the fear from updates. Yeah. You know, yeah. presuming every time you guys do the update, nothing's ever going to go wrong. That's the, that's the goal. <laughs> you know, it's a preview, but that, that's certainly the goal. Yeah. And we've had a lot of big customers that are starting to use it. And, um, yeah, I could imagine like just getting into the automobile supply chain that yep. just lives and breathes EDI. Yep. It's a huge number of customers that have been running, I would argue, very creaky gear now. Because EDI is not a sexy technology. It's yeah. plumbing. Yeah. And, and people don't buy new hardware for it every couple of years. Yep. They ignore it till it falls over. It takes a very special person to get excited about that. Yes, Let's yeah, just yeah, say yeah. That. And uh, what's nice... Are you, you looking at me like that? Yeah. So I'm all wound up. I'm, oh, my God, EDI in the cloud. That's awesome. <laughs> and what's cool is you can now basically just take VS and .NET, and you can build adapters and bridges... Um, inside VS, there's design tool support. Yeah, the workflow engine inside of BizTalk is brilliant. Yeah, like that's that's the thing that's awesome about it is it really doesn't take a developer to to tweak flows for for data. You know, it's it's a it's a gorgeous product. It always has been. But. So you know that that's just one example of a new service that we've launched on Azure. Um, you'll see a lot more, even frankly, later this month. Um, in terms of new capabilities. And so, yeah. you know, we're trying to get into this nice kind of cadence where, you know, we've got a lot of value that's coming out on a pretty predictable, regular cadence of every three weeks or four weeks. Um, and, you know, hopefully for more and more customers that originally looked at Azure and said, yeah, okay, this is cool, but mm-hmm. I, I don't need this yet. Right. You know, increasingly now, I think people are looking at it and going, oh, I could take advantage of this. Right, um, sure. The dev test stuff we did last week, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, we we focused on it was, you know, we were finding dev test when you talk to most enterprises or organizations, whether they're small companies or big companies, um, you know, everyone needs to do dev test. Right. And it's a workload that's actually fairly safe to move to the cloud because sure. you don't have to put your production data in there. Yeah. You don't have to worry about running, whether it's, you know, the, the reliability factor of dev test is yeah. slightly different. And so right. it's, I think a good workload for a lot of companies that, you know, where, where developers are frustrated about having to wait a week for that SQL database from IT. Sure. Hey, I can now spin it up in the cloud, build my app, and I can still choose to deploy it on premises. But um, or hey, I can also deploy it in the cloud. And I think you know more of those types of scenarios. I hope will make it uh, Azure something that every developer just increasingly says I want to use. Um, because yeah. I can take advantage of this, 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 sure. and this. So here's a question for you. So having a VM in the cloud is really, really attractive. But of course, you know, it doesn't scale as well as an Azure website. So the question is, at what point should I consider moving off the VM? You know, where, what is the sweet spot for a, a virtual machine versus an Azure website? I think if you're, if you're um, doing a web app, I would recommend, uh, even for dev test, I would recommend probably looking at using Azure websites. Okay. Um, mostly because it's, it's just, it, it's got the deployment built in, it's got the scaling built in, mm-hmm. it's got SSL management built in. And so it's, it's infinitely easier, um, to spin up even a simple website, mm-hmm. um, with Azure websites, get it all up and running and working, you know, without having to configure anything. Yeah. Is there anything that I have to do specifically in my code? For an Azure website that I don't have to do in IIS? No, it's uh, basically the exact same code works. You can just take so any can, of our I project templates. So I can still use the file system? Like, uh, yep, you, you know. can read and write from the file system. Anyway, generally, we recommend you know be careful about writing the file system because that, right. that causes a bunch of scalability issues. But if I have you know like config files or little documents or something yeah, that absolutely. people want to upload you yep. know, as part of my website. You can do that. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think the only kind of restrictions we have with Windows Azure websites today... 
that an existing .NET developer might run into is if if you need to install a custom MSI okay. on the web server. Like, say, for example, you've got something that, um, you know, some component that, that you can't install via NuGet, you can't install as part of, you know, your directory, your bin directory, or, or as an assembly reference, but actually requires, you know, installing something system A Windows setup app or something. You know, right now our, our websites don't, uh, feature doesn't give you kind of the access to completely change the machine, but in general, very few. Yeah, that's an apps edge case. Do that, and and you know, frankly, if if your app does do that, you should really try to figure out can you make it not do that right. for a variety of reasons, yeah. just in terms of simplifying your setup and deployment. Sure. Um, but yeah, the nice thing with websites also is that it provides a built-in application request router. Mm. Um, so it, it has a load balancer that's that's doing level layer seven mm. load balancing. Um, nice. Yeah, it handles so f- faster, more scalable, safer. Yeah, the, the list goes on and on. And you can basically scale it up to um, uh, ten VM instances, and they can be up to quad core. You know. Uh, but tens the, the number because tens the limit right now. I mean that translates into forty cores of processing power, sure, which is a heck of a lot. Which of, is a heck of a lot. Yeah, um, I'm just know, thinking you know, we were talking about the ten thousand web instances, sure. web app instances of the old style. Yeah, uh, and that's still the most scalable solution. But you've got to build to that very specifically. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to do ten thousand instances, you're going to end up writing some custom code. Sure. Um, but you know what we typically see is a sweet spot. You know, I'd say ninety. Nine point some percent of oh, all yeah. apps, web apps, you know, basically run probably on less than three machines or yeah, five yeah. machines. Well, and, and that's um, my experience just scaling websites. Yeah, in, in yeah. The, the the traditional way, yep. so you, we typically ran three. We typically scaled beyond one. We yep. go to three, but that was for reliability, not yeah. necessarily performance. Just so that you had backup machines and you could do seamless updates. Yeah. So I like that you can get it because if you get to ten and you're fully loaded with quads, like with forty cores, that's Hundred thousand users, like that's a lot of people hitting your site. Oh, yeah. Steady, we seeing... have to talk about re-engineering from there. Yeah, and so the beauty is you can take your existing code and it just works. And you know, in terms of from a scaling point, um, you know, I don't think we've announced any public numbers, but uh, you know, I was looking at kind of some log data recently, and uh, you know, I think we're now doing uh, many billions of HTTP requests sure. through the Azure websites. Service, which is a, is in preview still, it's not actually officially yeah, GA. Still not yet. actually a product. Um, There's a lot of people. But each using month it. we're actually doing now. We're in the many billions. That's nice. Um, which is pretty cool. And it basically both talks to the number of people using it, but also the fact that we've got a lot of apps that are using it in a pretty substantial way. Mm-hmm. And so you know, if you if you have a site that's going to do tens of millions of HTTP requests or page views per per month, you know it, that Windows Azure websites will support that sure. just fine. And is it ten an arbitrary number? It's a somewhat arbitrary number. It's, uh, uh, you know, we basically maintain a pool of machines. Right. And so right now we're just, you know, that, that's the current limit in terms of, um, uh, max scale factor. I think you'll see us be able to have kind of a, you know, scaled in infinity if you want to. Yeah. Um, we just need I, to make sure. I mean, sure. my experience with low balancers is much of beyond 10 for a given pool. It didn't make sense. You started then doing split pooling with stickiness across multiple pools. You know, we do um, the way our, the way the website's features are architected. We actually maintain a pool of load balancers. Okay, and so we can scale out horizontally pretty much to infinity. Hmm. Um, so there's no limit in terms of the number we can scale. The the ten limit that we have today is primarily around um, is more capacity planning yeah. for us because it's, if someone comes up and says, "Hey, I'd like to have a ten thousand VMs." You know, we need to make sure that we allocate them, and and then if they say, "Oh, no, just kidding, done," yeah. and, and get rid of them. Um, you know, we want to basically add a little bit more logic in terms of how we handle that. Sure. So that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't spin up and spin down too many machines unnecessarily. How many you're lighting at once? Yeah. I also found that just state management, once you got much above 10 machines, you didn't want to have to synchronize state across all of the servers all of the time. Yeah. You want to start splitting the pools. Yeah. Generally, what we recommend is the, um, from an app code perspective, try to be as stateless as possible in your web tier. Yeah. yeah. Well, Um, absolutely. It's got to be stateless, but the state's got to come from somewhere. Sure. Yeah. So it is, it's really a question of how much does it cost to keep hauling that around? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. Hey, Richard, guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to spin up a sticky pool of goo. Oh, jeez. What, what are you talking about? I don't know. I feel surreal today. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's all that scum. The goo is here. You know, yeah. Sticky pools. Get it. Yeah. I talk about load balancing and you get that from it. Okay. You know, this is my job. Okay. 
<laughs> no, no, it's time to uh, it's time to give away a DevCraft complete collection by Telerik to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before we announce the winner, let me talk about the Q2 2013 DevCraft complete. This is a uh, all new, ten new controls, over 250 new features across all six of their UI control suites, uh, which allows you to cover more scenarios out of the box. Tile list for Ajax, calendar, data storage, touch, and more for Windows 8, as well as offline cloud data synchronization for Windows Phone and cloud MBAAS, MBOS, which is mobile backbone as a service, uh, are just a few of the major new things. The newly introduced graph interactivity support in Telerik Reporting helps you create even more interactive reports. Just Code's new integration with Just Decompile allows you to debug third-party libraries without having the uh, source code available. And these are a, but a few of the new features. Check it out at Telerik.com. All right, man, who's our winner? Well, our winner today is Jeff Broadhead. Jeff. Congratulations. Obnoxious claps for you, Jeff. Oh, my mama didn't raise me to be no prop man. <laughs> so uh, what we're talking about here, if you don't know, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every show, we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, and every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. And uh, we like to ask our guests, although this is kind of silly, but Scott, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology, which is just a typical morning for you, I'm sure, what would you buy? Now, personal technology toys, what would you buy with five grand? And yeah, no Azure Compute Hour, sir. Oh. <laughs> we know that you'd do that. Gosh, I don't know. What uh, gadget don't you have? Uh, 3D printing? Is that up? That would actually be pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, because you've got young boys too. And I just got to yeah. think, if I had young boys right now, be able to, to design and make your own toys and print them out at home. That would be pretty cool. Be, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a great afternoon project. There's the whole kind of maker movement and, you know, the, um, you know, devices, net, you know, Netduinos or whatever. Yeah. And, um, when your boys are still a little small. No, they're for, a little too small for, for that, but for something like the I'm Lego Mindstorm stuff. Oh, you're, you're in. Not, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> stop I'm not too small. Stop yeah. Them, it's I want to play. Yeah. You know, so, but I, I've, I've not really ever done any kind of embedded programming or, or device based programming, but that would actually be pretty cool. It's all written in .NET now, man. I know. It's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. Love the .NET gadgeteer stuff. That is so much fun. My yeah. kids and I have a great time with that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, and it's actually, Top to spend five grand. I mean, even a good 3D printer is only a couple of thousand dollars. Is it really? Yeah, but uh, you, and you if you go buy start buying those Netduino devices. They're only 150 bucks a crack. You can fill your house with those for five thousand bucks. <laughs> so, uh, funny story. I I gave my kid, my, my my youngest daughter, a list of all the features and the sensors and the things that you can do with these things. And I said, come up with a gadget. You know, what would you, what would you do? And of course, you know, the older ones were just like, I don't have time for this. This is boring. I'm out of here. The younger one was like, hmm, I think I would have an alarm clock that tells you whether it's raining with the barometer and then wakes you up with either raindrops keep falling on my head or I'm walking on sunshine. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, wow. I, knowing your younger daughter, that doesn't surprise me at all, actually. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So what the heck are we talking about? Azure VMs, um, Azure websites, turns out that they look just like IIS to mere mortals, and there's no reason not to use them. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the the thing that I think is kind of uh, fun about the cloud, and it's one of the things I, you know I try to talk a little bit about in my talk here um, and, and showcases is just the fact that it it allows developers to focus much more on building cool apps as opposed to kind of administrivia. Yeah, and and so like. Administrivia? I mean, I think I just made up that word. That's awesome. But, but you know, just think about like how much time do you spend like, hey, you know, what's this IIS setting? Or let's go ahead in the admin tool and create a, a new vroot. Oh, we put it in the wrong drive. Is it backed up? The log files. Oh, now you said SSL support was built in. What is what does that mean exactly? Do you still have to go to a third party to get a certificate? Or? Yeah, basically you do need to still buy a certificate right? somewhere. But um uh, basically means you know if you if you have a certificate and we support any yeah okay SSL cert that you get from anyone great you can upload it now and basically say on either a um, uh, on a, any website you can now say I want SNI yep. SSL support or I want IP address based SSL support wow 
And, um, and so, yeah, so now you can, you know, do full SSL encryption of all your content. That's probably our biggest request that we've had from websites that was missing, um, was that ability to do SSL. And so we just, we just introduced that about a week ago. And now obviously that increases your compute load. I'm just wondering if I ran my site in all SSL all the time, what the cost difference would be. Uh, from a compute perspective, it doesn't impact the application performance at all. Okay. Because we actually do the SSL termination on our load balancers. All right. And so we actually incur the compute cost for you. Um, and we do all the management for you. So the nice thing is, is, you know, one of the things that's tricky with, with SSL today is if you have, you know, a bunch of web servers that you spin up, how do you synchronize the certificates? Yes. And the IP addresses, and if you've got multiple machines, you got to go through a router, make sure the VIP doesn't change. And, you know, you can do it. It's just a pain. Yeah, it's part um, of the job. It's part of the job. Now, basically, you go to our admin tool, you upload the cert, you say, I want to bind it. You know, you can, we even support wildcard certs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you only pay, and, and we do charge you because we are doing the SSL termination or yeah. the management for you. Uh, but we only charge you by the cert, not by the site. Really? And so if you have a wildcard cert, you could have... You know, a hundred sites go against it. Sure. And, uh, and then basically you pay, um, uh, a much smaller rate for if you do an SNI based cert, which is what, you know, modern browsers and machines support. Um, a lot of people still use IP address based SSL certs. Right. It, it's unfortunately yeah. IE7 on right. XP only supports that. Um, and there's, there, there's still a lot of those browsers out there. Upgrade your browser. Um, but you can basically do either and, and, you know, it, it it's kind of a, Pretty nifty feature. And so is, is it just basically a flat rate per month? Yeah. To, to I think it's flat rate itself? per month. Yeah, I, think yeah. I believe it's flat rate per so you're month. So you, it's not costing us anything for the traffic. Yeah. No, we but, don't charge uh, anything for the traffic. Oh, I mean, you pay standard bandwidth rates. Right, but it's the same Azure. bandwidth rate whether it's as a seller. And exactly. So it really sort of speaks to why wouldn't we just use this all the time? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think if you have like a personal blog or something like that. Yeah, you, probably not Probably not going to need SSL. But yeah, yeah for anyone that's, that's hosting either. Anybody who's using a login of any kind. Yeah. You just want to raise the confidence level of the yep. person using that site. You kind of, you know, like Facebook, you come in on HTTPS and you never leave. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that's one example of, you know, for a developer that wants to go live with a project, you know, let's just say it's even just a hobby project. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ability to kind of spin up an idea in, you know, minutes, get it out there, then, hey, you know, Carl, why don't you check this out? Here's the URL. You know, it's awfully nice. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that we've, we've lacked a little bit in, um, uh, you know, even say within the .NET ecosystem where, you know, people are, are often building their apps and they're behind the firewall. Right. And so sharing and actually, you know, saying, Hey, let's try it out. Let's do a community project. You know, you have to, you have to do enough work that, that you kind of say, okay, do I have a couple hours to set this up or not? Right. You know, now basically, especially if you're an MSDN customer, you can spin that up. You mm-hmm. can actually start spiking out an idea very, very simply. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think also just from a best practices perspective, you know, we do things like integrate with source control. Right. So you can now use Git or TFS and you can push your source control to Windows Azure websites and we'll basically do the compilation for you and deploy it live into production. And so, you know, really getting kind of a nice agile workflow that, you know, everyone kind of has heard, hey, I should be doing, but, you know, it's a pain to set up. Sure. You know, you can now literally get going in seconds and, you know, it really lets you focus on the app and not have to worry about it. I showed a, a cool feature yesterday, which is new Relic support for wow. those Azure websites. And um, for people that haven't checked that out, you know, I always ask in the room, you know, how many people have a fully instrumented monitoring mm, and yeah. telemetry system for their apps? Right. And you get a you know a handful of, of hands go up, and you say, right. well, "How many people rely on their customers to tell them when there's their app has a yeah. bug?" Yeah. And, you know, yeah. my idea of error reporting is the phone ringing. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and, and you know, people laugh, but usually about half the people raise their hands, yeah. and then you know, you know, the, there's just cowards that didn't pick either, and you know, so, okay, I so know which one you're really doing. But. For the uninformed, tell us about New Relic. So basically, the, the idea behind New Relic is it's a cool uh, third party service. Um, that does uh, basically provide you a full telemetry monitoring solution. And so what you can do is you go to Azure. Um, we have what's called the Windows Azure Store. So inside the portal, you just say new store, mm. and there's a new relic thing there. Um, they have a free tier, so it doesn't cost anything to use mm-hmm. um, to get basic functionality. You just click, click, copy your key, and then go into an, an ASP.NET website in VS and use NuGet mm-hmm. uh, to install the... Uh, new relic um, new git package 
And then as part of that installation, it'll say, what's your key? You just paste in the key that you right. got from the Windows Azure store, mm-hmm. deploy to Azure. And then once you do that, um, hit the website. And basically within about 30 seconds of you first hitting the site, you'll have full telemetry monitoring data on the website. And so we'll tell you how many, re- you know, how many requests are coming, right. where in the world they're coming from, so yeah. you can see what parts of the world they're hitting. Wow. And then what they do is they instrument even the, the HTML JavaScript so they can tell you what is the actual latency on the clients on your site. So they can say, hey, this page or this NBC action is you know, taking 300 milliseconds more than it should. And this all happens in real time? All happens in real time. Wow. Uh, and what's also cool is they, they enable the .NET profiler. Uh, and so we enable that within Windows Azure websites. And so they can actually tell you uh, um, every method inside your app that's being called, how long it's taking to run. Um, in real time. Wow. And then what they'll also tell you is when you're hitting a database, what is your SQL performance plan wow. and what is the SQL code that's running and how long is it taking and what indexes it's taking. It's kind of like magic. Yeah, it um, sounds kind of like Glimpse. It's kind of like Glimpse, but for the server. Right. So Glimpse obviously is great on um, for a number of things on the client side. Mm-hmm. This will let you basically instrument even inside your server code and your data tier and give you even uh, give you insights on that as well. And, and so, is there a dashboard that exists outside the browser that we can uh, that use from? Yeah, a I believe New Relic has. Yeah. Um, uh, I think a, a phone app as well that you can install. Cool. Um, and then the other cool thing is you can set up alerts. And so what you can basically do is um, say, hey, anytime my site is returning errors, or anytime my site takes more than two seconds to load, you know, on average to to render over a two minute period, send me an SMS. I want to know. Send me an email. Yeah. And so that ability to kind of literally in a couple minutes have a, a pretty decent monitoring telemetry solution without having to write any code yeah. is pretty that's killer. That's really amazing. And, you know, again, that's that's something where, you know, you're an ASP.NET developer. You just get that. You just get that with Azure. And right. and that kind of ability, I think, is ends up meaning that as a developer, A, you build better apps, and B, it's a lot more fun to build apps. Well, you like having the feedback to actually yeah. see how are people using my site. Yeah. I, lo- I always love the idea of watching a website in real time and yeah. watching to see what, where people are going. Yep. And it's kind of fun. Yeah. A little creepy, but fun. Yeah. Well, I always worry about the overhead on the server when you're doing that kind of a, I mean, I love method level instrumentation. I've yeah. used that method profiling for a long time, but I always do it in the lab. Like yeah. actually having it on in production is a little scary. Well, one of the things that's kind of nice about, you know, running in a cloud environment is you have, you know, the ability to scale up sure. faster than ever before. And so, you know, if you're using Windows Azure websites and you realize, wow, I just got a lot of traffic on Monday and, you know. And page performance starting to drop. My alerts are going off. Just go into the portal and say, I'd like two VMs, please. Yep. Or, or two instances. And literally within 15 seconds, you're scaled up and running across two machines. Yeah. I'd le- and I'd love websites. to, you know, with New Relic, see, and then the performance comes back. Right. right? Yep. Everything's going faster again. And, you know, I think one of the changes that, uh, you know, I even talked about in my talk yesterday um, on kind of best practices and patterns for cloud development is instrument everything. Yeah. And so one of the things I kind of showed, which is different than I'd say most, um, both client and server apps built with .NET on-premises today, is I basically said every time you do a database call or every time you call an external service mm-hmm. from your app, so you, you talk to storage, you talk to the database, you talk to anything, you, you call a, a, a Facebook API, you know, basically use the stopwatch class inside system diagnostics Say stopwatch.new to create an instance, mm-hmm. call your API, and then basically, you know, stop, stopwatch.stop, and then you call an elapsed property on it and, and log it to system diagnostics. Right. So that you actually know every single API call that you make outside the app, how long it took. Right. And the benefit is of, and, and turn that on, you know, right to the information log. Um, if any of those things fail, right, the exception to the error log. And yep. then when you're running your app, Run it with information warning and error levels on, and log every single one of those calls. And you know, in a in a on-site world, you know, who's going to check the logs and how do you access the logs? And you know, I might run out of disk space and mm-hmm. my server. Crowd, you know, you have to worry about a whole bunch of those problems. In a, in the cloud world, you literally within Windows Azure websites, you can go into the portal, hit the configure tab, just turn it on. You pick the logging level. Pointed at a storage account, and your storage account can store 100 terabytes of logs. Which right, is an awful not going to run out anytime soon. And you can clean the logs too, by the way. But yeah. uh, but you know the ability now to to sort of 
you know, there's having, really no excuse. There's no excuse not to know what is the real customer latency you're yeah. seeing. And then when you see an alert fire and people are starting to see this, you know, the site suddenly got really slow. The beauty about going into the diagnostics logs and sort of saying, oh, it's this database call right. or this database server. Well, and also be having all that log file going back so you can see it degrading over time. Yeah. And you could run, you know, you can run analysis on it to see kind of historical patterns. Mm-hmm. You could correlate it to sales if you're actually selling a product or new users or, you know, suddenly you have all this insight. And again, the beauty is, you know, setting this up, I, you know, we could demo that in about three minutes. Nice. And that changes the dynamic and I think really opens up a lot of possibilities for developers. And speaking of logging, what's the story with uh, with Azure websites for, for you know, IIS level logging, the kind of stuff that, you know, we want to find out how many hits. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you can get with New Relic in terms of that, you know, reporting and graphics and stuff, but how can I turn those logs into reports easily? Uh, you know, there's solutions like New Relic that, that do a pretty good job of actually giving you... Um, you know, frankly, they, they kind of uh, they upload the HTTP logs to them, okay. uh, or you can configure it so it can, and and they'll give you pretty darn good reporting analysis, both in terms of how much just raw page views, right, but also parts of the world. So you can actually right. literally see what state in the U.S. or what country in the world people are actually accessing the site from, sure, and you can see heat maps over time and usage patterns and things like that. Um, and then what we do with with uh, Windows Azure websites is we also log. You know the standard IIS logs to disk, yeah, and so you can also download those into your own custom analysis. Okay. One of the things we'll do in the future, probably a little bit later this summer, um, is also allow you to just we'll automatically copy the HTTP logs to blob storage, mm-hmm. and so um, you know that gives you again, you know, you can store hundreds of terabytes um, of logs, but it, it also you know one of the cool features that we came out with Azure this spring is our HD Insight uh, Hadoop cluster support. And so one of the things that also, you know, you can do uh, now is very easily spin up a, a Hadoop cluster, which is a way to do big data sure. computation. And you can point it at anything inside blob storage. And so one of the things oh, I want to be able to do and, and sort you know, I'll do a talk once it works on is, you know, take, a, a, you know, take for example, .NET Rocks. Right. Take all of your HTTP all logs, logs, dump it automatically to storage. And then, you know, once a week or once a month. You could spin up a Hadoop cluster and run MapReduce jobs. Do your analysis. And do the analysis and say, wow, you know what? People, you know, uh, that's turn a great on, idea. People, you know, stop listening after the first commercial. Yeah. Or people skip over this or that. Right. How can we actually change our format or change the website to hmm, actually? It seems like anytime Carl's talking, they fast forward over that. Yeah, wow. Exactly. <laughs> or, or, you know, who knows what insights you get. But, you know, we found uh, just within our own um, services, you know, things like what's the color of the button, you know, tend to actually have about a 15 or 20% impact on whether or not people sign up or click wow. it. Um, you know, things like... Well, that's the big thing is now it's starting to do A-B testing so that oh, you yeah. can gather that data. Yeah. Or, you know, knowing, um, you know, different parts of the world. Someone even mentioned, one of the speakers even mentioned it here, uh, you know, colors mean different things. In different cultures, And so, yeah. you know, uh, red in China is good luck, I think. And yep. apparently here it's bad luck. Nice. So, you know, you, you know, Nice don't, shirt there, Scott. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh yeah, so it's you know it's it, it's stuff like that where where you know the, the you know one of the things that the people say about the big data movement is you know both you want to sometimes have ideas that you want to test, yeah, but oftentimes you know let the data speak, yeah, and you'll actually find really interesting, surprising insights that you'd never infer or never guess just by actually running the data and, and looking. just having a good visualization. Heat maps are great for that. Yeah, just seeing well, why is there a concentration yeah. here? And you know, I think a lot of people that are maybe doing enterprise development are going like, okay, this sounds great if I'm building a consumer-based app. Yeah. But in the enterprise, you know, my, my customers are internal. But, you know, one thing I'd probably say is is this kind of monitoring diagnostics and usage data and the ability to know, you know, when do people abandon the app or when do they close it? What are they really using inside of it? Everybody can benefit from What's that. What's the real latency? How long does it take to actually load the page? Everyone can benefit from that. Sure. And if your internal customers are saying, gosh, this app rocks. Yeah. At the end of the day, that reflects on you as the developer. I I always did really well working big organizations where after we shipped a version, you know, two weeks later, we put out an email. Yeah. 
talk about how people were using that new version because we did have good log data and yep. part of it was preventative just making sure that yep. is this thing actually being used is it going to crash soon yep. and then but, it, but also just being able to celebrate yeah. all too often the only thing you ever hear from it is bad news yep so you know to actually say hey we got the new feature out ten thousand people are using it you yep. know they're spending this much time on it that's all good and i found you know just preparing for my talk you know, I basically instrumented, you know, it was a relatively simple app, mm-hmm. um, or small app, but I, I, you know, I really kind of did the instrumentation and, uh, you know, I found it kind of fascinating as a developer looking through my logs as, you know, I'm sitting in my hotel room hitting the app. Sure. Kind of going like, why is this database call taking longer than this? And realizing, oh, you know, I'm doing a table scan and I forgot to index this call. Right. And, and, you know, once you have that log data, it's really easy to pinpoint that. Yeah, you can see it very clearly. I'm spending too much time here. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that's also just from, a, you know, one of the things that's nice about the NDC event is there's a lot of kind of focus around agile and yeah. best practices. Um, and you know, I'd say most people aren't doing them. But, you know, people want to learn. And, and, and there's, the I think, an element of the engineer in us that kind of, you know, pride of code or pride of ownership. Sure. Um, that we all want to have, but yeah. sometimes in our day jobs, you know, you just don't have, there's too much kind of, I need to get this done exactly quickly that I can't don't focus do it on right. It. Do it now. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that, that, you know, my hope is with Azure and the cloud, you know, by letting you do some of these best practices like continuous integration or scaling or logging or diagnostics or, you know, telemetry, you know, by making it, you know, dirt simple, to actually enable, you know, you can actually as a developer spend more time on actually making your app better, which is both more fun, but also I think will end up making your customers, whether they're internal sure. customers or external customers, happier and make yourself more valuable as a, as a developer. Yeah, just having, once you have some feedback so you can actually see how people are using your app, it yep. isn't that hard to find ways to act on it. And once you can deploy the app quickly, like if, if you know that you can basically, you know, deploy the app in seconds and you can scale it up and you can, you can do all these things, you know, it also means that you can actually iterate much faster in your mm-hmm. production environment so that it's, it's no longer the once a week we'll go live. Right. You know, how do we enable it so that, Hey, a couple of times a day we update it. Mm-hmm. And again, we're getting continuous feedback so that if an update has a problem, I can turn around and I can fix it, um, in a matter of minutes. As opposed to having to go, shoot, we got to go retest everything and run it again. You know, if you have that kind of continuous integration, continuous delivery kind of mode and the, the, the platform and the tooling really enables it, you know, it, again, it, it means as, as a developer, if you both fix something or more importantly, if you add a feature, mm. the time to get it in your customer's hands and start realizing the value and getting the feedback is a fraction of what it is today. So speaking of that, uh, we noticed that, you know, now Visual Studio is coming out with quarterly updates and the Visual Studio team seems really like accelerating. Uh, I think you had a lot to do with that in a, in a roundabout way because we noticed that a lot of, lot of stuff at ASP.NET came out very fast on a very, you know, a lot of community previews and service packs and things. Like you really pushed a lot of updates and I think that sort of, you, you I, I, am I right? Or am I wrong about that? I think that your your sort of culture of <laughs> hey, let's get these things out on a more regular basis sort of spilled over there. I mean, a little. I think the quarterly updates. I mean, uh, um, uh, you know, in in, in, in fairness, uh, you know, the, the Visual Studio team did, um, uh, you know, even even after I had left, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, they, they deserve a ton of credit for coming up with the the updates. I sure. I think the. Um, and I think one of the things that they've done well is actually grouped all of the changes into kind of a single update so that people know like, Hey, I don't have to install 25 different things. I can just kind of install. And they just happen. Update. We don't have to go to a blog post and download yeah. a zip file. Yeah. And, and so I think, I think that, I think what they've done there has been fantastic and they deserve a, a tremendous amount of credit. Yeah, for I agree. It. Um, you know, certainly, you know, my kind of style of, you know, I, people say like, Hey, you know, how do you like to focus on? you know, building stuff. And, and my kind of approach is, you know, pick a customer, get, you know, as deep as possible with that customer and really understand what they need, you know, build kind of a minimal viable product or prototype, get it in their hands, get feedback and iterate as fast as you can. Sure. And, you know, if you do that and you really listen, you know, you, you really kind of 
listen to the feedback. Don't just try to convince them this is the right way. Um, <laughs> and you can iterate fast and respond to their feedback and really get the cycle time down. You know, the route is th that kind of seems to work pretty well in every scenario. And so I've kind of used that with client, server, cloud, devices, many other things. And, and you know, I think it, it ends up meaning that the teams focus more on what are the real pain points that the customer has and that, you know, really focus on what's going to create the most value. Um, whereas if you have a much larger ship cycle, sometimes, you know, you get a feature and you get to the end of the ship cycle and you realize, wow, you know what? No one really wants this. They really yeah. wish they had this instead. If it's a little bit more agile and a little bit faster, you can kind of... It's very um, painful to go through a whole quarter or longer to find out this was not a feature that people actually wanted. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things we've tried to do with Azure is, um, you know, it's kind of one of the big changes that we made is basically say, we're going to have a train that leaves the station every three weeks. Right. And, That's great. And, you know... The, the train will leave the station. <laughs> it's going. Whether you're Are you on, be on it or not, not is up to you. <laughs> That's um, great. <laughs> and, you know, and so, you know, I, many of the fun conversations I have are people like, hey, you know, we just we just need one more day, and I said that. That's, that's nice. That's nice. Train's leaving. And, you know, uh, <laughs> bye bye. We'll catch you next time. Um, and um, you know, and you know, the first I'd say three or four times you do that, um, the number of you know crying, you know, uh, begging, it's pleading three, people. It's only three weeks from now. But that's that's kind of what we found. That's yeah. why we kind of settled on three so weeks. Is we found sixteen, seventeen ships a year. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think we're. I, I've lost track of how many we're up to. I think we're doing one literally right now. Uh, <laughs> I left my hotel room, and I, I can't quite tell if the update is done or if it's in progress because the time time is all. You know, it's like whatever three in the morning right time now. Time doesn't exist right time now. Time doesn't exist right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, basically the 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 teams kind of now got in, into the um, okay, this, these ships are really going to happen, and I think it's also helped us on the quality side. Because people kind of know, like, if it's not ready, it's okay to you actually pull the ripcord. Because yeah. three weeks is not that bad. Not that bad. Um, and um, and the nice thing is, you know, basically we can go live with something. And, and within about 48 hours, we or yeah, about 48 hours, we have statistically significant data mm -hmm. on whether or not the update was good or bad. Okay. Um, and I don't mean bad in the sense of it is that failing. You're not talking about feedback from the customer so much as how people are using it. Yeah. Did, did they use it the way we thought they would? Right. Um, you know, and so we'll actually do A-B testing on like the website hmm. and it takes us about, you know, 24 to 48 hours. We usually wait 48 hours so we get kind of two full day cycles. I imagine the telemetry goes. of Azure itself must be amazing. Just yeah. like the amount of data yeah. that you guys have to analyze and look yeah. through. It's, I mean, it, it's, you know, our problem is we probably, probably have so much data that sometimes it's, it's, uh, uh you know. We don't have a lack of data. It's it's run, I, running the right queries to actually. Are you analyzing it with Hadoop? Uh, we use a variety of techniques. You know, Hadoop yeah. is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, obviously we have some data that's customer sensitive. So sure. you know, we, we we kind of have very strict policies as to like um, uh, anything that has any customer specific specific yeah, information. Sure. But things like um, you know the the sign up flow. Um, you know, the interesting thing is because we're a service. You know, we actually get paid as more people use the product. Right. And so, and because we charge now by the minute, um, instead of just by the hour, um, you know, literally, you know, every minute matters. Yeah. You're strongly incented. We're to... strongly incented to understand, you know, does the sign up flow working or not? Or, yeah. you know, are more people buying the things or not? And, you know, it literally translates into, you know, the revenue in the, you know, of that month. And, you know, if it ever goes down, like if you actually make sign up flow harder, or if, you know, by burying that feature deep in the UI, mm -hmm. people don't click it, you know, it actually makes your revenue the next month go down. Yeah. Um, and we've never had our revenue go down. But, it, but you know, on individual features, we have kind of went like, oh, you know what? Uh, it turns out, you know, putting the sign up button under the picture as opposed to the right of the picture versus the left of the picture, you know, that, that can actually change it about 16 or 17 percent. Wow. Um, and so it's, it's kind of fun to kind of see when we go live on a service, what's the uptake? Um, you know, where are people using it? How are they using it? Um, and you know, that, that's been one of the fun parts of the job. And, you know, we're slowly, I, I wouldn't say we've kind of completed the term, but we're slowly getting the team to be much more, um, KPI driven, right. as opposed to this is the best feature in the world and we should build it and you say, okay, that's great. What's a good KPI for yeah. whether or not How we are going to measure that? Are using it. Yeah. And so, you know, getting into this sort of measurement driven culture, 
where it's not like we're trying to actually micromanage people. You know, one of the things that I've kind of done is said, you know, give me two metrics for your service that are business basic. Right. It can't be revenue, but really, yeah, I kind of. Well, I mean, it would say, hey, I don't want your the engineers focusing on revenue. Right. I want you to kind of translate that into features. So for like our mobile services or for websites, you know, I think one the two metrics we came up with were, you know, total number of HTTP requests mm-hmm. um, and the number of apps that have more than like 10 million HTTP requests per day or, nice. or for so some arbitrary numbers. You know, so like kind of like, uh, you know, head apps or, right. you know, big apps. And, and that's it. Don't worry about revenue. Don't worry about how many people are using this feature or that feature. Um, if you focus on those two things, revenue will come. Yeah. And if, if you focus on those two things, you'll also optimize for the features that are going to actually drive more usage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it ends up being kind of hopefully for the team a little bit of a clear, you know, uh, north point that they can kind of aim for on the compass where they kind of say, Oh, okay. I can track every day or every week or every month, you know, how many more billion HTTP requests do we yeah. do? And it, and you know, and you can kind of prioritize all the features based on that, and it, it kind of drives a lot of behavior that way. For sure. You know, we're still trying to figure out exactly the right metrics. This is the first month we've done it. Yeah, no, uh, I think it's very challenging. They so these two I mentioned might metrics. turn out to be the completely wrong ones, <laughs> um, but yeah. we're trying to have the teams kind of come up with them themselves, so they feel some ownership, mm-hmm. and and really, you know, have yeah. people step back and say, okay, what's the measurement for what success looks like? All right, so we got time for about one more question, and that is. Is there anything else coming up that you might want to hint at that we should stick around for? What's next? Well, you know, I mean, uh, you talked about a few things, but you know, is there any well, the big you know, any bombs you want to drop on the world? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, um, the you know, the cool thing about shipping every three weeks is it means that I get a new set of toys to talk about every three weeks. Um, <laughs> So it's going to be on the show every month now. People, people ask me a tech ad and they said, wow, you know, it's this three week thing. Like you did all this stuff this week. Like you have anything left for Bill? And I said, well, you know, how many weeks away is Bill? And they yeah. said, well, about three. And I said, oh, well, isn't, that interesting? isn't that convenient? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I stay tuned for the build conference. We got some really cool stuff that's going to come out there. Nice. Um, In any particular category? Uh Cloud related, yes. Uh, oh. yeah, yeah, there we go. That's uh, nailing it down. <laughs> no, we've got. I mean, I think we've got something for everyone that's that's coming. I think um, developers, uh, IT, um, everything. I think we're gonna have a, uh, a fun set of announcements to build. Cool. Um, and you know, the the, the the fun part of the service is it just it gets better and better. Like we're not breaking anything, um, and you know, people don't have to use the new features, but. Um, you know, I think you're going to start to see, uh, you know, even just later this month, but especially I think the rest of this calendar year, a lot more of the arcs, if you will, or the scenarios end to end kind of light up where instead of just having these discrete features, you know, if you can take logging and analytics and put them together, suddenly you get a much richer story than individually. So sort of bridging these bridging these things together and providing some more services on yeah. top of the data that's being yeah. collected. And so yeah, you'll see you'll see some cool cool stuff this month. You'll see more cool stuff next month. And you know awesome. ho- hopefully, you know, every month from this point on, the story just gets better and better. So, you know, if if, if you are using Azure today, you know, hopefully a lot of good th- stuff yeah. coming. If you're not, you know, definitely we're trying it out. You're Again, missing if, out. If you're an MSDN you're customer really you know, basically as part of your subscription, even if you're an MSDN professional customer, you're getting 50 bucks a month every you month. You guys have really lowered the barrier. You've got here. $600 of free Azure resources a year sure. that you're wasting if you're not using and That's you can right. use them for anything. It's you know, pretty amazing. If you want to spin up media encoders, we could, you know, we could actually take this talk and we could actually do the encoding in the cloud for yep. whatever format we wanted to. If we want to take this video and stream it in the cloud, guess what? You can use media services now. Mm-hmm on Azure to automatically stream it um, to any format. So you can do it for Windows, Flash, Silverlight, iPhone, Android. We got all that. Uh, again, you want to do data, you want to do web, you want to do mobile, you just want to run VMs, you can do it all. Awesome. Scott Guthrie, it's been a, such a pleasure to talk to you. Right. Thanks for having me. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember... Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes 
of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a boy. Life is hard.